Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of experts, practitioners, and guests to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak. I'm Michael Bode, a senior tax trainer with Tax Banter, and your host of today's podcast. I'm joined by my fellow Tax Banter trainer, Michael Mesner, and in addition, a special guest, Ollie Visser, who is an executive who will introduce himself and will be sharing his experience with us over recent times. Welcome, Michael and Ollie. Thank you very much for having us, Michael, and welcome, Ollie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you, Ollie. Well, Ollie, um, for our listeners out there, I think it's important for them to know that um, you have been in public practice for many years here in Brisbane. Um, we know each other actually for many years. Um, we started uh, our studies for the CPA together, and I think there was nobody better to teach me the difference between debits and credits other than yourself. Um, so what is happening? Why was there a change in your career from being in public practice? And now, obviously, you're the chief financial officer of Video Pro Group in Brisbane. Tell us a bit about that, and and how do the two reconcile? I find it an absolutely fascinating story. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know how much teaching I did with the, the debits and credits. I think you were pretty switched on with that part. Um, yeah, look, as you mentioned, I was in public practice for, for quite a while. I went to, uh, through a few different firms, uh, got some good experience in a whole different variety of uh, sections, um, so auditing, tax, super funds, all kind of things. Um, and for me, I think sort of from the start, I always knew that I wanted to be in business. Uh, so how I sort of got to, I guess, where I am now is it was actually an interim role initially and um, I was given the opportunity by my firm at the time, Vincent, to um, to come on board and sort of fill in for the CFO who had departed. And we weren't sort of sure how long that contract would be for and it sort of started to extend out a few months when we initially thought maybe it'd be one month. Uh, and it got to a point where I just really realised, you know, this is where I want to be. And um, as much as I enjoyed sort of in, being in public practice and being exposed to different things, for me, it was always business. It was always being involved with the business and being able to, you know, implement changes that you can actually see happen in real time. Uh, for me, probably one of the frustrating things about public practice was that exact fact. Um, you sort of, you see your clients, depending who they are, a few times a year, you know, you have conversations, you do the tax, which is something that everyone needs, and then you sort of lead in to try and, um, you know, give the business advice piece and sort of really try to add value to that business. But unfortunately, depending on the size and, and for whatever other kind of reasons, often the clients don't sort of take that on board or you're not in a position where you can go in and say, yeah, you know what, I'm going to come on board with you and your business and I'm going to help implement this stuff. Um, whereas now, obviously, I'm in a position where I can implement the strategies and I can see the direct results of that. So that's, that's um, yeah, why, why I'm here. And, and I was lucky enough uh, that the directors wanted to keep me on as well. So can't complain. Very good, Ollie. Um, you mentioned one interesting thing here. It's the clients. Um, you said the clients sometimes didn't listen to you or you couldn't implement with them. Why is that? That public practice experience, has that moulded you? Are you seeing the matrix of the small business pool in front of your eyes? Or what do you think is a bit the inhibitor here to, to get to the point where probably you could have a bit of a closer client relationship if you're in public practice or vice versa? What are you looking for actually as the, on the client side now? How do you see that relationship? Yeah, sure. Um, look, I think there's probably a number of things that might inhibit uh, you know, a business owner. 
I think size is definitely uh, one thing. You know, if you're dealing with a small business uh, who can't afford, you know, potentially an internal accountant or internal advisor, often they, they, they don't really want to pay the money for an external advisor to implement those changes. Um, other times, you know, the, the owner might want to, or the people in the business might want to try to do those implementations themselves and don't quite grasp what it is. Uh, another perfect example of, uh, I guess, is the timeliness of information. So obviously if you're in public practice, I know a lot of the clients that I used to deal with, you'd see them potentially once, maybe a few times a year. And obviously with the tax agent uh, deadline for, for lodgement for a lot of these smaller businesses being in May of the following year, you know, you get people sort of coming in April and, you know, then you start to get a bit of information from them. And by the time you identify things in April um, from the year prior, Obviously, it's, it's almost been another full year, so it becomes really hard to, on old information to fix what's happening and to really try and implement and try to drive the change there. Do you think that there's a bit of a disconnect also on a daily basis now that you're on the client side between the level of tax and tax law that's being practised in public practice versus what you as the buyer, the client, actually needs on a daily basis? Yeah, look, I, I definitely, I definitely think so. Um, there's sort of key areas where I suppose I would find most value now that I'm on the other side from the accountants, um, and and for us probably it's more, um, you know, really having that support piece, and and being able to have that person there to contact and sort of, um, you know, bounce bounce ideas off, because I guess it, again it's a very different landscape uh, being in the commercial side compared to public practice. And I say that in the sense that, uh, you know, in public practice, you do have a lot of resources around you. You've got a lot of people that do the same job as you. So it's, you know, it's a very different situation when you're looking at trying to apply, you know, different types of legislation or tax laws or trying to understand how something might work in that environment, because you've got all these people that you can talk to. Whereas, you know, in the commercial environment, being a finance person in the commercial environment, obviously depending how large your business is, uh, can be quite lonely. So for me, it's it's definitely valuable to have that person to bounce ideas off and um, and try to understand it. But uh, to come back to your point, yeah, often the level of tax that's that's happening in the in public practice is probably a higher level of understanding that you know some of the owners do need to understand. But it, at the same time, it's very important. I believe even for the you know the non-financial directors to have some understanding of what's what's happening with that piece as well. I wonder if I could just pick up on that point you were mentioning there around timeliness, which is you know obviously a key um, factor for you. you yourself having the experience in public practice would probably mean you've got a higher degree of boldness in going and and proactively contacting your accountant and many of your compatriots wouldn't and would simply be sitting there and waiting for their accountant to proactively contact them i mean would you be recommending to your compatriots i suspect so this is a dorothy dixer <laughs> that that your compatriots in 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 business to be reaching out to their accountant more and vice versa would you like your accountant to be reaching out to you on a more regular basis in order to secure the relationship that you can have you can have that discussion and and achieve that timeliness to be able to bounce ideas off how do you achieve that relationship with that with that accountant do you think yeah look absolutely i, I think it's very important um for people to realize that the accountant uh, i guess business owners in general to realize that the accountants are there um obviously to assist and, and a lot of the time um 
I guess being on this side, you do sort of see that people don't want to pay the extra bit of money to talk to the accountant. Um, but really what I, what I find is the value in the information or having that clarity or that support, uh, it's, it's worth the extra fee. Um, it's, it's the old, it goes back to the old thing of, um, you know, pay someone that's an expert in the field to do something for you rather than for you to try and manage things yourself that is out of your depth and you're not, you know, really doing a good job about it. Um, so I think, yeah, if that's something I could say to other, other business owners or people in the executive teams in a, in a commercial role, it's, it's absolutely important to have that, um, you know, relationship with your accountant and be able to talk to them. Um, as to the second part of your question, uh, with the accountants contacting us, uh, especially now, obviously it's a bit of a, a turbulent time for all businesses out there, um, we have had our accountants contact us without needing to be prompted. They've been able to provide information to us uh, without us needing to ask for that information. So. Absolutely. I don't think it hurts at all. And it actually does the opposite. It provides a lot of value, I feel, to the commercial client if the accountant can off their own bat, you know, contact the client, have a chat, how's things going. It doesn't have to be about tax, it doesn't have to be about, you know, anything specifically, you've missed a deadline or whatever the case might be. But, you know, just having that chat to see how things are going, how's business um, I think it's benefits on both sides, to be honest. You know, if, if you're only seeing a client from a public practice perspective at key dates in the year, um, you know, if you take the time to build that relationship and understand what's happening in their business, I think that goes a really long way when you do catch up for tax and, and other sort of things. This is fascinating stuff, Ollie. And, and what I hear here is pretty much the accountant is part of your team. That's how you treat them. But obviously, your team is bigger than yourself, especially as a CFO. You need to obviously motivate your staff, need to involve them. How do you connect that? How do you filter down the strategy that you discuss with your accountant and the overall concept? And how do you manage then your resources further downstream within your organisation? Yeah, look, I think it's um, it's all about trying to get the team to buy into, you know, the direction that you're heading in. And um, and obviously that's that's a conversation and getting really key players in that team to buy in. So for me, it's it's our um, financial accountant, um, getting him to buy into, you know, what I see, which direction we're heading in, uh, if we're changing a process and, and how we're going to change um, what we're doing, why are we doing it? That's That, for me, is a very important thing to get people to buy in. They need to understand why something's being done. It's not It's not a case of, um, you know, you're standing at the top as, as a CFO and going, okay, we're now doing this, this and this and this and that's it, you know. Um, so I, I like to understand from, I guess, from the staff, you know, whether they do understand and also what they uh, agree with, what they don't agree with because, you know, we've got a really great culture here at Video Pro and it's reflected in the sense that, um, we've got a lot of people who've been here for a long time and those people have seen you know, different management styles come through. They've seen changes in software. So it's really important to get their opinions as well, I believe. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I, I came in here with a list thinking you know, I'm going to change this, that, this, this and this. And, um, and a lot of the changes we've made have been very positive and, and really good um, you know, for efficiency in the business. But some of the other stuff that I've come in, you know, I've, I've actually been shown by the staff, you know, this is actually a better way of doing it. Or we do it this way for a specific reason and this is the end result. Um, so a big part of it is, is getting them to buy in. Um, we've got a few different things going on at the moment and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's no different. And um, 
I guess the other part of that is just to communicate on a, on a regular basis. Uh, so I, I try to have catch-up, sort of a, a one-on-one catch-up with, with the staff members, um, you know, just to see how things are going in general, but also, you know, not to, I guess, put a plan in place, set and forget, more so, you know, how are you finding the change? Is it working? Have you noticed anything else that needs improving or can improve? Um, but, yeah, it all comes back to communication and getting them to buy in. This is good stuff, Ollie. So tell us, what are your tools then? You already said it, communication, regular catch-ups. What tools do matter? How do you motivate your staff then? What do you communicate? How do you provide for transparency? And also, it would be fascinating if you can contrast what you're doing at the moment at Video Pro compared to your old days in public practice. And are, are these skills really or these, these methods transferable in any way? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, the, I'll go back to the, the one-on-one catch-up. For me, that's that's a massive go-to because, and I'll say that because it's not just about um, seeing how things are going, but it's about understanding from the staff what they want to do. You know, we, we've got a plan for how we want the finance team to look and, and we want to, you know, get that into a stage where it's a really high-performing team. And, you know, coming into, I guess, this role, we identified some changes that we wanted to make there and... Once you have that conversation with the staff and sort of understand where they're sitting and what they would like to do, it actually really helped the process because it, it helped um, us to move things into places. You know, I spoke to the accountant and sort of what I told him my plan was is something that he said to me he's been trying to do for years. You know, so really understanding what they want as well is a good way to help motivate them. You don't want to give someone, um, you know, a, a terrible job that they don't want to do. You know, at the end of the day, you're here for... for a really big chunk of your week um, and obviously you know job description a job comes with a job description so I'm not saying you know everyone just does whatever they want to do but whatever's in your power to control is um, is always very valuable in getting people motivated and getting them to buy into the idea um, as for as for being transferable uh, look there's no difference between what I did in public practice and what I did here I did exactly the same thing um, as a manager at Vincent's I used to have the one-on-one catch-ups with the staff, understand, you know, what are they doing, how they're going, is there anything that you're stuck with, you know, let's work together and, and sort of solve that problem. And, uh, yeah, that's that's actually where I first saw that it, it worked quite well and, um, and that was why it was sort of one of my go-tos here because, you know, that's something that worked very well. So why, um, you know, why wouldn't I do it sort of in a new environment as well? Interesting to see how how this would have applied to you during the, the JobKeeper rollout, and uh, you know whether you expected that phone call from your accountant at that point in time. Yeah, look, um, it, the JobKeeper, as as you guys both well know, I think there was changes pretty much every day. Um, so it sort of it leads back to what I was saying before about the support piece from the accountant. That's that's where the real value has been during this time, because. Um, you know, again, in public practice, you've got support all around you. As I mentioned, it can be lonely and commercial. Uh, my focus is all over the place. I suppose um, during COVID nineteen, you know, we're, we're mitigating risk. We're doing cash flow projections. We're trying to make strategic business decisions, while at the same time, you're trying to keep up with something that's changing almost every day. So, just to be able to have the accountant, you know, contact without being prompted. Um, and sending that through and then, you know, we, we receive like a fact sheet so I can look at the fact sheet and go, yep, you know, I knew about all of these, yep, my understanding is right in that one, 
or, you know, no, that one's actually changed compared to what my understanding of it was yesterday. So um, very valuable indeed. And, and, you know, even around the dates about when things were due, I, I guess there was a lot of confusion at the start. You know, sort of when are you providing your numbers to prove, um, you know, a reduction in turnover? Uh, how's that going to look? How do you do it? Is it through the portal? Is it through somewhere else? Um, so having a bit of guidance through that, you know, just and having someone to sort of bounce those ideas off to know that you're on the right track, um, definitely very valuable. At what level are you connecting with the uh, the accounting firm? Um, are, you, are you aiming? I'm, I'm interested by the, the fact that your um, experience with, with working in public practice and the changes that you've gone through, which have not been very much in many respects, you're still managing a team and the accounting firm being an extension of that team. And I guess that's a change in mindset for, from my perspective as for, for, the account, for the accountant. Um, so how do you see that um, coming into play? Yeah, look, uh, I guess I guess at the start, obviously being quite fresh at the start from public practice, you sort of come into it and you think, okay, well, I don't really need to contact him because this is what I was doing, you know, so I'll, I'll just keep doing it. I can do all this now. It's, it's all good. Um, but really un- when it's crunch time and things like that are going on and you've got other things happening, you know, you can really see when the value is there. So I'm, I'm on the phone calling if I need something. I think there might have been a week or two where I probably really annoyed our, our accountant. Um, and it's, it's funny to yeah, then picture yourself on that side and, and sort of think about when you're in public practice and you're receiving the phone calls. Um, but <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably part of the reason why I don't, I don't feel bad about doing it because I used to be yeah. the person who was getting the phone calls. So now I'm thinking, yeah. well, you know, there is actually real value in there. Like it's all well and good to come into this role to think you can do everything, but it, it comes right back to, to what I was saying before. You know, someone, it's their job to do that. Um, it's my job to know what's going on, but you know that's what you pay them for. What, what you pay your strategic advisor for, your trusted advisor, because they you know can provide you with that timely information. They know what's going on at, at, at a drop of a hat. Whereas you know you might have been caught up with something else. And at the end of the day, you know, and I saw this obviously in public practice as well. But small businesses that do try to wear all the hats and do everything, uh, it can be to their own detriment. So I, I, I just want to make sure I do what's best for the business and not fall into that trap. I'm picking up on a couple of important themes here, and I think one word that you just said was value. I think that's what it boils down to. If your accountant provides value to you, then you have a very good relationship. Another thing that I do pick up on that just uh, said in a multitude of ways, um, first when Michael asked you about a JobKeeper and then subsequently was just about also um, uh, do you see your relationship with your accountant and the ongoing communication as a way of reducing your risk in the business itself? And also how do you assess that risk? How do you feel it mitigates the risk when you speak to them? And just how does it assist in your decision-making process? Yeah, look, absolutely. That's that's spot on. Um, it, it definitely does assist with mitigating the risk, um, and I say that because, again, like I like I mentioned, not not to repeat the same thing over and over, but you do you are quite lonely sometimes as a finance professional in a commercial role. And when I say that, you know, if we if we're something's happening with the business or it's now with COVID nineteen and there's new laws and legislations coming out, really, you're the person who's implementing any strategic decisions based on your understanding of what it is, you know? And there's always that risk that, you know, because you don't have the resources, you don't have the people to bounce the ideas off, there's always that risk that your understanding 
is not necessarily 100% correct. So by having that sounding board and being able to talk to someone and run ideas past, you know, I'm thinking this, this and this, does this sound right? This is my take on how this law is applicable. Does that sound right? Um, this is the plan. And just to have that soundboard saying, yep, look, that's, that's also my understanding. Um, you know, it's sort of, you can go into those meetings then with confidence with the board and say, you know, this is what it is. Um, and in, in that sense, it does take away that risk that maybe you've missed something. Ollie, I, I pick up here on a fundamental message. I think you, you, you said it, you didn't want to repeat yourself, but this is important, exactly this. What you're saying is, as a client, I want you, my accountant, to talk to me. Please be aware of what's going on in my business. You're not just doing my end-of-year compliance. Please do talk to me. And if I if you do that, I see value and I don't mind about the fees. I think that that's a, a thing that I'm hearing here. Now, tell me, Ollie, um, you were on the other side. You were in public practice. As an accountant... Did you clearly receive that message from your clients? And do you think the accountants have received that message clearly from their clients, specifically amongst the COVID-19 crisis and the measures that were enacted? Yeah, um, probably probably a couple of answers there. Um, from some clients, yeah, you, you sort of do gauge that they do want that extra attention. And, and you know, it's, it's obviously great for nurturing that relationship. Um, in other cases, I guess... I did also find, and you guys might have found something similar in, in your time in public practice, but often the clients don't really know the value until you're able to show it to them. So I guess what we used to do and what I used to try and focus on is what is the value and how do you provide that value? And exactly what I just mentioned before, it's, you know, it is the phone call. It's a phone call about, oh, it's not, you know, your boss is late, your tax is due, can you get back to me about queries? It's hey, you know, I just want to have a chat. How's the business going? You know, oh, by the way, do you have anything you want to ask me? You know, and, and you know, I know, I know we, we all had timesheets and I definitely don't miss timesheets. Um, but, I mean, even, even then, you know, you don't need to put those kind of things on your timesheet. You know, you can do that off your own back and that's how you add value. And, and it goes back to what I was saying before. When you deal with a lot of smaller businesses, they don't want to be billed for every single thing that's going on. So if you call them, they don't want to talk to you and that, that's where not necessarily some might want to talk to you, but they might not want to talk to you because they think that they're getting billed, you know, and they're thinking, well, no, I didn't ask for this advice. I didn't ask for this help. Whereas if you can show, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just checking how things are going. I'm trying to provide, create value here for you. Um, you know, it's, it becomes a very different conversation. So, you know, sometimes, yes, we did receive that loud and clear from clients. Other times we didn't. And once you were able to provide that value, you know, the relationship changes, the mindset changes. They know that you're not just there to build them and put them into your timesheet, um, but that you actually are taking interest in the business and you're actually trying to grow that relationship. So so the answer, yeah, is a bit of both there, I, I would say. And for me being on this side now, um, I've definitely found that value with, with our accountants as well. I think they sort of, you know, reciprocate that. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's sort of where it sits. Could be considered blasphemy not to be putting the uh, the item down on timesheet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but it adds value, and it, while it may not be specifically billed, it adds to the value of all of the other services that you provide. So, whichever internal method you use, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I'm hearing from the from the perspective of the executive, boss your accountant around a lot more. Ollie's in the nice position <laughs> to have been working there, so he can pick up the phone a little bit more readily. And you should you should try to replicate that. And also, don't be shy if you're an accountant on the other side of the of the fence. Um, your your client is sitting out there who is lonely so don't forget that they're lonely i think that's a nice <laughs> thought as well yes ollie i'm just wondering when you speak to your accountants these days again on the client side obviously you're the client now um how person focused are you when it comes to your accounting firm um are you insisting on speaking to the same person on an ongoing basis do you have multiple contacts there and what is actually your preferred way of doing things do you want to deal with multiple people because we're obviously aware that in public practice you have separate levels of accountants um all the way from partner down to the junior accountant usually we look a bit at cost who's the best place to do it how do you see that and how do you feel that relationship could be improved if at all yeah, sure. I think you hit it on the on the head there with the separate levels. I think that can be extended to what the topic is that you're talking about. Uh, myself personally, I don't I don't mind dealing with different people in the firm, uh, depending what you know the topic is that we're talking about. If it's you know there's the ASIC statements for renewal, that's that's cool. I don't mind you know who, who I'm talking to. If it's something uh, maybe a, a bit more strategic, then then I would definitely prefer to speak to the same person, um, which which I do. I do speak. To, I've got the the main one contact there that I sort of talk to about uh, the majority of things, but I do I do talk talk to other people um, as well. So I think it really comes down to what, you know, the topic of conversation is um, because obviously certain, um, depending what it is, you know, we, we've just gone through a, uh, for example, we've just gone through an internal restructure. Um, so you, you obviously want to talk to a specific kind of people in regards to that because that's a higher level of, you know, or a different or a different area, not necessarily a higher level of, of knowledge, but a different area of knowledge compared to, you know, someone you might be talking to on a day-to-day basis or, you know, the person that might be sending you, um, you know, emails regarding lodgements and things like that. So, um, yeah, look, it, it depends on the topic, I believe. But, um, but it is good to know that you've got that trusted person that you can speak to at the same time. Ollie, let me in on a secret and obviously everyone on the, listening to us today as well. How important is the client are lodgement deadlines to you? And why can we see some clients never sending our documents to us on time or having incomplete information at hand? Can you shine a light on that now that you're on the other side? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's funny you say that. I like, I like to think I'm not one of those people, but uh, hope, hope our accountant's not listening. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, can, I can understand a little bit more from that perspective, um, you know, where you sort of, Clients do get busy, and again, it depends on the business size, but businesses of all size, you're busy. Um, it's not as simple necessarily as what you think when you're sitting in the accountant chair in public practice. You know, I've sent this email, you know, it's been a week, why is this person not replying to me? You know, I guess I feel a little bit more sympathy with the client side now than, than probably what I did in my public practice days. Um, but yeah, no, look, I, I like to think I'm not uh, someone that drags the chain too much. So um, I hope my accountant agrees with me on that, but you'll have to ask them. 
Knowing Ollie personally, I can attest to the fact that he lodges his tax return by pretty much 8 a.m. on the 1st of July every year. Um, obviously, that's because he always magically appears to be in a refund situation. <laughs> Moving on, we've talked no a lot about how things are at the moment. How do things look in the future? And I specifically want to pivot a bit to COVID-19. Obviously, you talk to your accountant about the different measures, what's available. What's on the cards from a business point of view? What do you hope to see from the government in terms of stimulus and budgeting measures? And again, what do you think will this mean for the business in the long term? And then again, also your relationship with your accountant. Yeah, sure. Um, Look, I guess I sort of tackle the the government one first. Um, Obviously, JobKeeper is one of the main things out there um, and they're talking about sort of bringing that back earlier probably than maybe initially said for the six months. Um, we've got some exposure to different areas of the business and I guess we've been, or different different markets I should say, and, and I guess we've been lucky in that sense because some parts of our business are doing really well. Um, but you know, our, our retail side, for example, we did have to close our stores um, due to reduced foot traffic and um, uncertainty of stock and things like that. Um, so it would, be, it would be good to see that support continue um, from that perspective. Uh, and, I, and I guess another thing that we found particularly frustrating uh, during all the relief being announced is we we didn't, as a business, we almost didn't qualify for anything, you know, and that's not to say that we didn't qualify because we weren't affected. We ab- absolutely were affected, but it's that rule about the turnover threshold and, you know, you have to be a certain size and we're slightly just, just, just over the size that's required for pretty much all of it. Um, so... You know, I guess if, if I was talking to the government, I would say, you know, it's not only small business that do feel the effects of these things. I, I think there might be a, a false um, idea out there that if you're a bigger size business, then you're all good. You're, you're loaded with cash. It's it's no problem. So um, I guess it'd be good to see that support continue. Obviously, I want to see the economy bounce back as well. So I'm, I'm not saying we need to extend anything out, but sort of just uh, if we can stick to, I guess, what's been announced to date, that would, that would be quite good. Um, as for the future, the landscape, um, look, there's probably a couple of things there. Obviously, work from home has been a massive, massive thing. Um, I think that's probably going to be a little bit more of a new normal, um, and I say that in the sense that not that everyone's not going to return back to the office. I, I do believe that people are going to return back to the office, but more in the sense that I suppose in the past, flexible working arrangements, they haven't been uncommon as such, um, but, you know, where you might have had an advantage as a, as a business owner or an employer to, um, you know, potentially offer a flexible working arrangement as an advantage over a competitor to bring in some talent, I think um, you're going to find there's probably not that much of that advantage anymore because it's going to become a lot more of the norm. Um, I also think, you know, probably businesses are going to be more prepared for this kind of uh, crisis. And, and I say that in the sense that, I think a lot of businesses that have never implemented anything work from home or online or remote that have now done it successfully are going to say, well, you know what, this is actually um, quite a sustainable model. This this, this can work. And, and I think to some extreme, on the extreme side, you're probably going to see businesses try to reduce their, their physical space and overheads uh, because of that, because they've seen the success behind it. Um, for us personally, um, we've reopened all of our stores now, um, which is good. We've, we've gone back to full trading hours. So 
Uh, for us, it's just about sort of getting back to somewhat normal. As I mentioned, normal might be a different normal when we get there. Um, but, yeah, look, there's a lot of positive news out there at the moment, which is good. And I just have to say, for disclosure, we are using a fantastic conferencing system here provided by VideoPro. Um, I just had to open it in my browser. No tools to install, no apps to install. And I can actually see Michael Bode's shiny red microphone. It's got an amazing <laughs> LED light in it and absolute clarity. I, I feel like my microphone is not as posh because it's only got a little blue light on it. <laughs> It's all about the light, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, Michael. Um, that's 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 a, an example for those that are listening at, at home. This is an example of um, you know one of the other offer, one of the other product service offerings that we that we've got, um, where we've been you know quite quite lucky to be well diversified over this period. Um, as I mentioned, we've got some exposure in the retail market, but we do also have the commercial side of the business where we do a lot of um, commercial AV fit-outs and installations. Um, and this virtual meeting room um, is, is called Pexit, which, um, which also is another product service offering. So obviously this has been quite popular in the work from home movement um, while all that's happening. And, um, you know, as, an, as, a, as a bit more of a popular alternative to some of the other ones that are out there at the moment um, and, and mostly due to obviously a greater quality, um, as you might be able to see and hear there, um, and also um, more secure stream. So, so obviously if you're, um, if you're a business talking about sensitive information or you're having meetings and um, whatever it might be, then that's obviously becomes quite valuable. Bit of a question on that end. Um, do you actually see a lot more accounting firms than you had before amongst your clients, if you can give us a bit of an idea around this? And again, I mean, do you th you said it earlier, but do you think this is the way forward for an accounting firm as well? Um, working from home arrangements on a more ongoing basis, video conferencing. Um, obviously, I think uh, none of our listeners mind having less of a commute every day. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, absolutely. We've got a lot of, uh, we've got some accounting firms. We've got a lot of professional firms, I should say. Um, so we've got lawyers, accountants. Um, we've got the uh, the courts, you know, um, that we provide this for. And again, that goes back to the security of the stream. Obviously, there's um, quite sensitive information that would go across in those meetings and those proceedings. So. Um, Look, it's definitely it's definitely a, a great thing when you are in a legal firm or an accounting firm if you do have that sensitive information. Um, and I definitely think, especially in that professional environment, uh, yeah, if, if there's not a need for you to physically be somewhere, um, which a lot of you know accounting jobs and and or legal jobs, depending what you, you've got on on a given day, um, you, you can definitely do a lot of the work from home. Um, I don't think that you would completely eliminate your physical space in those kind of occupations because you do obviously want those face-to-face -face meetings in certain uh, in certain occasions as well, and and seeing those clients uh, because a lot of clients. And I guess being on the client side now, you do value the in-person catch-up from time to time. You feel like you're taken care of, um, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. But it's, it's a very powerful tool um, that, like I said, a lot of the businesses that have successfully implemented working from home now, I think, would be surprised with how well it works. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. Um, it's be almost become the new norm now, and indeed, you know, you almost have to offer that uh, ability as an employer. 
And I've also heard from quite a few of our groups, actually, that um, productivity in accounting firms now with working from home measures and um, uh, remote um, conferencing is actually increased rather than decreased. So that's an important finding for ourselves as well. Very good stuff, gentlemen. All right, Ollie, final question from me before I am ready to move on to our text banter trivia. Our loyal listeners will know what that means. Ollie, do you ever consider, or would you ever consider, going back into public practice? And what do you think public practice could offer you that would entice you to move back from your current role as a CFO? Yeah, sure. Look, that's a, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I think it probably goes back to something that I said earlier in, in, in the podcast, which is uh, I loved my time as an accountant, but I always knew that I wanted to be in business. Um, so when I say that, I'm not talking about being in a, in a business advisory branch or anything in a public practice firm, but actually running the business. So for me, the answer, look, the short answer is, is yes, but it would be a very different um, come back to sort of how I was and I would anticipate that that would be um, you know as an owner of, of a firm or something like that but uh, look that's all hypothetical I um, I absolutely love obviously my current role in being with Video Pro and there's a lot of exciting stuff happening here and, um, and as I mentioned before being able to see those you know, strategic strategic changes, and um, you know what what happens as a result. Uh, that's that's something that's really rewarding, and something that I want to continue to do. Very good answer, Ollie. Um, I might as well give the same question to Michael Boat. Michael has been a text trainer with us for a while, but um, as some listeners might know from our previous podcasts. Um, he was my mentor when I was still green just after finishing that CPA with Ollie. Um, Michael Boat was my mentor and uh, he's an absolute legend in the textile field. Michael, love being a trainer. We won't see you in public practice anytime soon. Not likely at the moment, Michael. Um, yeah, I'm certainly enjoying the, the freedom to be able to help uh, other people uh, understand tax with without the timesheet. Um, so that, that that's certainly uh, <laughs> enjoyment of mine. Uh, I think that's probably the largest feature for, for anybody that's been in public practice is the timesheet. Um, look at it, and it gives me the freedom to to be able to talk about tax and, and, and research tax uh, with, with a little bit more uh, freedom. Uh, so, look, you know, maybe at some point in time, and I, and I certainly, um, you know, enjoy that relationship that you have with clients and, and um, you know, the long-term uh, relationships that you build, I think, is, is probably the main thing that uh, you, you miss. Uh, there's certainly some people that I've been working with for a long time that I now no longer see as often. So it's, um, you know, those personal connections are lost and I think you should savour those. Uh, so that feeds back, I guess, into into the, the main message we've had from this discussion about, you know, getting in touch with your client. Not only was it going to help the relationship with the client, but it'll help you enjoy your job more maybe as well. <laughs> Very good. And I think that's just about it. This sums the podcast up very much. It's all about value, but also about just a personal relationship with your accountant. We are not just number crunchers as accountants. We are trusted advisors. And if you do not talk to your client, you can't operate in your function as trusted advisor. So please, dear listeners, don't only think about the numbers and the annual compliance. Do think about your client. Put them first and it will be a mutually beneficial relationship. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for this. I think it is time to move on to our text banter trivia. As I said, Michael Boat has always been my guru. That's why he'll get the somewhat harder questions. This is payback. That's what this is. 
this is just payback. It's not payback. Wait until the day that I go head-to-head with you and you will win outright, <laughs> I tell you that. We'll start off with Ollie. You ready, Ollie? I'm ready. Got an easy one for you. What is the current base rate entity for a company that's a base rate entity? What's the current rate of tanks? Uh, 27.5. Very good. That's one point for Ollie here. <laughs> I was hoping nothing changed in the last year. <laughs> We're going on to Michael Boat. Wait for it. We had a special topic recently on employment termination payments. Employment termination payments have recently or have have in the last few years replaced a previous regime, which was also abbreviated as ETP. What did ETP stand for before the change in law? Few eligible termination payments. Very good. We're even one one here. Ollie smiling at me through the camera. He obviously knew that one. Uh, yep. Final question for Ollie. Are you ready, Ollie? Yep. We'll stay on the base rate entities. What is going to be the base rate entity rate of tax for next financial year and the year thereafter? Oh. That's going to end up at 25, I think. I want to say 20. No, you, no. Uh, 26 and a half. Close, Ollie. It, it is going to be 26% in the uh, 2021 financial year. And in the 2022 financial year, yes, it will end up at uh, 25%. So that's obviously oh, from the following financial year. We'll give you, Michael, are you happy to give him a half point for that? Oh, definitely half a point for that one. <laughs> definitely. That's fair. Thanks, guys. All right, Michael, your final question. Let's see how that goes. Section 8-1 has several negative limbs to it. Name two of them. That it is not private and that it is not capital. Very good, Michael. I'm sorry, I have to declare You've this been is really for easy Michael Ford. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not too easy. That's not too easy, mind you. I have to say, obviously, if, they, if we had the questions the other way around, Ollie would have scored four marks as well. Of course. Very good stuff, guys. Thanks, Faith. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, thanks very much, Ollie, for your time today. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. I hope we'll have you on the show again in the future. Absolutely. Um, it's been it's been great being on and, and talking to you guys. So I really appreciate the invitation. And everybody else out there, thanks very much for listening to this episode of Tax Yak. I've been chatting with my fellow tax trainer, Michael Mesner, and Ollie Visa. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find Tax Banter on LinkedIn and Twitter. Let us know your take on episodes or suggest future topics or guests. You can also get onto the Tax Yak team on email podcast at taxbanter.com.au and find our regular blog articles at taxbanter.com.au slash banter dash blog. If you're enjoying our podcasts, please take a moment to rate and write a review for the show wherever you are. It'll help us improve the show and we'd love to hear your thoughts. We look forward to joining us next time. Bye for now. 